And now let's prepare for the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Please join me now in prayer. Lord, to whom shall we go but you? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Amen. An Old Testament reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, beginning with verse 1, the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there is no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, guys. It's so good to be with you. And I just want to say, um, in light of some very heavy news that we've had um, this, this morning and last night, that this entire service, and it wasn't necessarily planned to be this way, has kind of been a lament for our nation. It's been, it's been y'all's participation in the pain of this world, and I want to thank you um, for your hearts in that, for bringing your own sorrow and crying out on the behalf of those who are crying out. It was, it was particularly beautiful. I've got to admit, I was praying that today would be a little bit cloudy because I have a heavy message, <laughs> and um, I thought, ah, it'd be hard to preach a heavy message and then walk out the door to a beautiful day. So I feel a little bit guilty because not only is it cloudy, but it's also been a really hard week. So in the, in the midst of this, friends, in the midst of this, let's pray and ask the Lord to be present with us. Would you hear my prayer now? Father, this space, this space is where your people gather, and they gather to hear your word. They gather to be changed by you. 
they gather to raise their complaint to you for the destruction that we see. Would you come and be with us? Would you speak through me? And would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing? And may these people, your people, the ones you love, may they come to a greater love of you. In your name I pray. Amen. So I, <laughs> I was on the beach two weeks ago. And guys, beaches are great. I love them. Um, I did a lot of reading. And most of the time I was reading Dune. Have you all, any of you ever read Dune? Frank Herbert? Wow. I'm very late to this game, but it is fantastic. Fantastic. Anyway, so most of the time I was reading that. But another, at another point I was reading this book and you can't see it, but come and ask me for it. It's called, um, Embodied Hope. It's by a professor of mine at Covenant College. Covenant College, shout out. Uh, I have no relationship with him, so this is not a shameless plug. I do. This is not a friend of mine, but he wrote a wonderful book on the meditation of pain and suffering. Um, and I'm going to read to you just the prelude. And I, I just want you to listen with me. She didn't just tell me. I was at home with the kids, and she was at the grocery store. The kids played. I messed about the house, picking things up and preparing for dinner. But then, out of nowhere, I was struck with a deep panic. Something was wrong. Suddenly I felt that Tabitha, his wife, had been gone a bit too long and I was overcome with strange fears. We had been seeing doctors and going through exams, but for whatever reason, in that moment, these were not the things that came to my mind. I tried calling her phone. No answer. I texted her. Nothing. Called again. Nothing. My initial fears grew exponentially, and without explanation, I told my three-year-old daughter and my five-year-old son, get in the car. Hurry. We started rushing down Lookout Mountain. I knew I would find her car wrecked and thrown from the road in her life in great jeopardy. As I sped down, I held my breath at every bend, waiting to see the ambulances, to hear the sirens and to smell the smoke. But then halfway down the mountain, I saw her driving up in our other car. She gently waved and pointed back up the hill, up the mountain. A deep relief swept over my body. She was okay. No accident. As soon as I could, I turned around and headed home. After the fear had gripped me, I was surprised and relieved to find her calm. We ate a nice meal, and then she set the kids off to play in a different part of the house. Sitting me down, she waited till then to tell me. She had received the call, and the doctor confirmed she had cancer. While she had been sitting alone in the parking lot at the grocery store, with the doctor's voice in her ears, it had started to lightly rain, as if gentle tears of God were falling upon her. And that's just a beautiful, that's just a beautiful expression. She had waited, learning long ago a truth she had often repeated to me. Quote, it, it's always better to tell someone hard things after they have eaten. Well, she had ta- held it together and cared for the family. But now it's time to face reality. Our lives were forever changed. Cancer had infiltrated our family and stricken my wife. And there we were, with no answers, not even much energy for questions, just the first wave of grief at what all of this would mean. Something terrible had happened on June 9th, 2008. It wasn't a car accident, but it did feel like a massive pile of wreckage was threatening to crush us under its weight. I love how he says, in a love-hate kind of way, something terrible happened on June 9th. 
June 9th probably started out as a normal day. And guys, isn't that how calamity comes on us? It starts normal, maybe beautiful, maybe wonderful. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere we turn. And whether it's a phone call or a conversation with a friend, it was a phone call for me one night. I was going to go watch movies with some friends, and I was really excited. And I was like, hey, someone's calling me quite a bit. I think I need to take this. That's where the deepness of pain hit me. Where has it hit you? If it hasn't hit you, <laughs> I'm both very happy for you, and this is not a glass half full, but that day's coming, friends. I don't have to make an argument for the reality of misery and its universality, if that's a word. I don't have to. It's real, and pain is coming in your life. And so in this place that we find ourselves with pain just flowing. And today, where we have people mourning, and in your life, where some of you who are younger than me have experienced far more pain than I have, what do we do? Where do we turn? I'm so thankful for the book of Job. Because Job doesn't give us answers to the questions that we really want. Why? What were you thinking? just doesn't. And I think it doesn't because it knows any answer, because God knows any answer in the midst of your pain would not be what you need it to be. It would only be trite. It would only say, suppress that. Keep it down. Lock it down. Clamp it in. (sighs) Now we walk. And God wants none of that for you, friends. And so we turn to Job. And let me read this text. This is Job 10. It's on page 800. If you are new here, I am a very emotional person, and so my voice goes with the text. Um, just be ready for a yell. <laughs> you, guys are still, you guys have been here a while. <laughs> All right. Um, 10.1. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin though you know that I am not guilty and that there is no rescue from your hand? Your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with the skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. But this is what you concealed in your heart. And I know that this is what was in your mind If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished. If I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift up my head, for I am full of shame. 
and drowned in my affliction. If I hold my head high, you stalk me like a lion and again display your awesome power against me. You bring new witnesses against me and increase your anger toward me. Your forces come against me wave upon wave. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and deep shadow, to the land of deepest night, of deep shadow and disorder, where even the light is the darkness. Wow. (laughs) Guys, that's lament. That's crying out. That's experiencing the pain of this life and his life and saying, no, 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 this cannot be. And in my invitation for you guys to step in here, here's my warning. Lament is dangerous. It's heavy. It hurts. And if you're going to lament with someone else, you've got to step into the hurt. And you've got to bear your soul. It's got to be ripped out. And you've got to feel it. So that's, <laughs> that's the invitation. Right? To come on in and join me here. And I know I don't call you to a light thing. But there's hope in it. So what's happening here? Let me just give you a little bit of the structure of Job very briefly. All right. Job is a blameless man. He is blameless. He is upright. And he is what the Old Testament describes as wise. This is the guy that I long (laughs) to be, right? Even God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and turns from evil. He's a rock star, right? This guy's a champ. And um, every he has seven sons and three daughters. He's wealthy. He's obviously someone that the Lord has blessed with great inheritance or with great goods. And as Job is talking to this dude called um, the accuser, his name is literally Satan, but that's I'm not entirely sure how I should understand that. But he's one who's an adversary. And he's calling out God. And he says, hey, Job only loves you because you help him. This is a mutual, a beneficial contract, right? You scratch his back, he scratches yours. If you stretch out your hand against him, he won't love you anymore. And so you had this context, this backdrop. And here's the important thing about the backdrop. All right? It doesn't give you why this is happening. Here's what's important. Job is blameless. He is not a wicked person, and he is not being treated as his actions demand. That is the purpose, right? It's not. He's not a wicked man. He's a good man. He's a righteous man, and pain befalls him. In thirteen, in the first uh, first chapter, verse thirteen, you don't have to flip there with me, but it starts off in just a, so such a painful way. One day, one day, right, January 9th, 2008, a phone call comes. What's that one day for you? One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job. Hey, Job, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were out there, and all of a sudden the Sabaeans attacked, and they took it all. And while he was still speaking, another one came. 
Job, fire from God fell on the, from the sky and it burned up your servants and your sheep. And then a third, the Chaldeans came and they stole all your goods. Guys, how many of you have businesses or work and all of the fruit of your labor is ripped away from you? How many of you have work that you've done and you've been backstabbed by someone else? How many times have you felt, Lord, I don't deserve this. I worked hard for this. You blessed me with this. Why are you taking this from me? This is pain, right? This is pain. This is the kind of things that we lament with. All right, so then those three waves hit Job, and then this, this fourth wave hits Job. And if these waves were in reverse... These other, threes wouldn't, these other three wouldn't have mattered, and that's the pain of how these waves come, right? Well, he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, and a wind struck the building, and it collapsed on them. And I'm the last one left. How many of you know that pain? The pain of losing someone family member, a friend, a father, a brother, a sister, a mother. This is the pain that we're being invited into and called into. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the next thing that hits Job is an attack on his body. How many of you live with daily pain where you wake up and your joints hurt? Where you wake up, and it's not just, I grew up in Florida, so I was around a lot of older people, and they called them old man noises, like when you get up and you're like, ugh, groaning. They said it in a joking way. But like, I'm, I'm not just talking about like that kind of pain, although that kind of pain is serious. I'm also talking about like, you know, fibromyalgia, cluster headaches, migraines, the things that you dread, the pain that you dread, the arthritis that eats into your hands so you can't play instruments anymore. The ability to see, the ability to hear. Job's body is torn up, and he's in so much pain that he's taking these clay bottles and he's smashing them, and he's scraping his flesh with them, right? Now, here's the beautiful thing about Job's misery for us, friends. There is not one thing that I've mentioned that you've not experienced. This is universal pain. This is physical pain. This is emotional pain. This is betrayal pain. It all hurts. And that's where we step in. And out of that kind of context, Job gives his stoic response. And as a young man, I loved Job's earlier responses in the first um, two chapters where he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then again, um, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So those are his stoic responses to emphasize this is a blameless man. And that was the guy that I wanted to be. The guy who can step into that pain and say something so true, so powerful, and you guys all would look at me and say, that's a man of God right there. Pain does not affect him. That stuff was important, and what Job said there is good, and God commends him for it. But the gold mine is not the stoic man. It's the man in Job 3 to 39, where he rips his heart open to you 
and you get to see exactly how he feels. So with that as our backdrop, consider verse 1 of chapter 10. One more thing I forgot to mention. His friends show up, and his friends at first are rock stars. They see Job. They don't recognize him. They sit in the dust. They tear their clothes, and they're silent for seven days and seven nights. Now, I challenge you because I can challenge myself on this. Have you ever been silent in someone else's pain for seven days and for seven nights? If you have, well done. You're better than me. I always crap on... Sorry. I always think poorly of Job's friends right off the bat. Oh, my gosh, a bunch of guys that can't keep their mouths shut. But they did spend seven days, right, in beautiful solitude. And friends, it's far better than I have ever done. I couldn't sit in someone's pain for seven days. I need escape. I need to get out. You may feel that way too. But Job is calling us into a different type of life. Job's friends then start to hear him complain, and they say, Good grief, Job. Cry me a river. God doesn't do bad things to good people. You're a sinner. Seek him and be forgiven. And so then there Job's friends turn, and I have to tell you that Job's friends turn because the Bible tells us Job's friends turn. But in that context, when the friends are just saying, oh, would you just repent and then find joy again? Out of that context, Job says, I loathe my very life, and therefore I will give free reign to my complaint. Two words about complaint. This is directed to right to God. He's going to say, I will say to God, right? This is not just Job complaining that the food is too cold. You know the pain that he's coming out of. Secondly, complaint is a legal term, and it's laced with legal jargon. What Job is doing right here is he's calling God to the table and saying, it's time for you to account to me. And I hope you lawyers will understand this if I'm understanding it correctly. Maybe this is not actual law. But Job says, it is in ancient Near East, so (laughs) I got that. But Job says, um, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Essentially, Job, you can't hit me, or God, you can't hit me unless you tell me why. You're treating me, you're throwing me in jail, and I've not even been sentenced for anything. Tell me. Tell me why we're fighting right now. Telling me, tell me why you contend with me. Tell me why you treat me as if I'm already condemned. Friends, that's a good cry. That's a good cry for you to, to if, if there's one that you're going to take here, take that one and say, Lord, when I hurt, I'm going to say, why are you doing this to me? It's a good one, but it moves on. It doesn't just end there. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the wicked, on the schemes of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see mortal as, as a mortal sees? All of these questions from three to seven, they're essentially saying, God, are you a man? Now, God's not. <laughs> and Job knows that. It's a rhetorical question with the obvious answer of no. Job's not saying, oh, what am I going to do? You. He's saying, I know this is not who you are. I know who you are. This is not you. Why are you not being you with me? 
You know what the Lord says of you, friends? He says you're loved. He says you're his son, his daughter. When you're in pain, ask him, Father, why? You have the right. And the hope is that these rhetorical questions are answered in the no. The hope is that it's because he's not this way. He's not this brutal. And that comes very clear in verse 8. Your, your hands shaped me and made me. The whole lament kind of spins in an interesting way. Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. You delighted in me. You loved me. You fashioned me. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour out my out me out like milk and curdle me like cheese and clothe me with flesh. This is all language of in my beginning, you were present and you made me and you, you put me together and you know me and you love me. This is not you. You gave me life and you showed me kindness and in your providence, you watched over my spirit. It's this beautiful little treatise in the middle of this lament. And it's all about the goodness of your God. God made you in Genesis 2, and he fashioned you, and he breathed life into your flesh. He's covenanted with you. He's committed to you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Lord, if you're crazy about me, then why? Why the shootings? Why the pain? Why the betrayal? Why the backstab? Why did you... My dad often said that like, um, when he was fighting the enemy here and the Lord would come around or the enemy would come around and take one of us, his family, from behind him who was his support, he was like, Sam, I'm undone. I can't. I'm done. Why would you do this to us, Father? Why would you do this? You love us. We know you love us. Hastening on, he turns from this lament and, and this remembrance of God's kindness and love towards him. And then he, then he says, but this is what you concealed in your heart. The only reason you watched me or loved me was so that you could crush me when I made a small sin. That's why you did it, isn't it? Okay, this is unorthodox. No, that's not why he did it. But God... At the end of all of this, these sayings, God's, the narrator says, in all of this, Job did not sin. In all of this. Sometimes your cries and your sorrow and your attacks on God are okay. He, he's ready, ready for them. He's big. He can take it. And he wants you to come and talk to him. Even if you're angry especially if you're angry, even when you're hurt, especially when you're hurt. And they don't have to be orthodox complaints. They don't have to be shrouded in. I know, I know this is not what you're doing, but it sure feels like that. Just, just say it. Lord, why? Why? It's an invitation for you to wrestle with him, for you to fight with him. 
when you're in the hospital room and you're sitting in a chair and you're waiting as the loved one is being operated on, you have the opportunity to say, why are you doing this? He calls you into that kind of life. And it's good. And then, and then Job gets really low, guys. He gets really low. And I, I've tasted uh, my share of sorrow for 30 years, which is not a lot of sorrow. Um, but I've never been as low as Job is here. In verse 20, after he says, look, Lord, I know what you're doing. You just prowl around like you're a lion. You're waiting for me to pick my head up so you can hit me down again. He says, are not my days few almost over? Are, are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and of deep shadow, to the land of deepest night, a deep shadow and disorder where even the light is like darkness. He uses four different terms to describe what darkness is. It's the man just looking into the abyss and saying, I have nothing left. Just give me, just give me quiet until I die and then I'm really gone. And it's terror at looking into the abyss at the same time. Now, Job is already feeling this. His darkness has already been turned to light, or his light has already been turned to darkness. His, he's in deep shadow. Disorder has happened. Chaldeans came. Lightning from the sky came. The winds knocked the house down. He's, he's feeling pain. He's feeling all of this darkness. And he's saying, would you just let me be? I've never gotten to the place where I've asked God to leave me alone. I hope you haven't either. But if you have, this is for you. Because these are the words of the Scriptures. And remember my refrain, in all this, Job did not sin. Job is welcome, or God is welcoming this. He's welcoming this lament. He wants you to do it. He wants you to do it with one another when, when, when you're in pain. He wants you to lament with one another and care for one another in this way to go here to the darkest places and face the pools and say, Lord, would you please just give me rest? The Lord does. He shows up in the end of Job. And when he does show up, he just kind of says, hey, here I am, Job. Which in a huge way, guys, it dignifies Job and his complaint. Because in, jo- in God's showing up to Job, God is saying, your attack on me is worthy. I will step into the ring with you. Now, when God steps into the ring, the game is over. Right? Like, it's, he doesn't even have to touch you. The knockout is done. And Job says, oh, I see you now. I trust you. Right? So in this context, in this sense, God just shows up. Which is really hard for us who saw the prologue, right? Who saw what God said to Satan. Who saw that, that God made this kind of deal. We don't fully understand that. Hey, guys. But, oh boy, I shouldn't have stopped and stared. I totally lost my place. Um, 
but Job's final words to you are not, or God's final words to you are not just he's going to show up. And here's the beauty of this text, friends, and here's the beauty of what Stephanie read earlier. And I, I have prayed that this would not be a silver lining or light. But as you're staring into the deep shadow and into disorder and into the light where there is, that it, where, where even light is like darkness, as you're staring into the gloom and the deep shadow, Jesus Christ dives in there. Jesus Christ came, and he was the man of sorrows. He's the man that identifies with our pain. He's the man that comes and knows. He says, yes, I know your pain, and I sit with you, and I experience it. And in fact, I died to save you from it. So now all of our lament, friends, it's not just it's not just the, the depths of your despair, though it is that. It's so much more because the depths of your despair demand that there is a change and God promises you that change is coming. My son is coming back and I will put an end to all of this pain. And as you cry, friends, as you cry and say, Lord, why? He says, I'm coming. I'm coming and the promise is there. It's in the son who bore your pain. The man acquainted with sorrows, the man acquainted with with grief, you looked at him and you despised him. You looked at him and you couldn't handle him. He walked your road. And guys, a bruised reed, he will not break. He sees you in your pain. He loves you. And he changes your lament from just a lament into sanctification in a beautiful way. This is what Paul says in... um, 2 Corinthians. We do, want, do, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province, province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might rely on our, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. We're filling up in our lament the beauty of what Christ is coming to do. We're saying we're one with him, with the one who hangs on the tree, with the one who knows our pain, and we will come back with him, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will make all things right, and he will give you back what he's taken from you, because he loves you. If I may give my final charge, friends, Christ comes and sits with us in our darkness and in our deepness. Let's do the same for one another and for a hurting world right now. Let's sit and cry with them. Let's sit and make our complaint to God and have demand that God answer us because He will, and when He comes back, all wrong things will be made right. Lament, friends, because Christ loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And Father, I pray that you would comfort my brothers and sisters here who have suffered and who know pain, physical pain, who know the feeling of being backstabbed, who know what it's like to lose someone that they love, to be hit in their work or to be without work and and sinking into depression. Would you hear their complaint and would you enable us to complain with them? to love you with them. 
and to declare your coming again. In your name I pray. Amen.